Welcome to Cherry Beckert's GovCon podcast, where we discuss current government contracting trends, compliance matters, and the best practices to guide federal contractors forward. Uh, I'm John Yor. I'm a tax partner with Cherry Beckert, and today with me is Carol Marin, um, who will also uh, introduce herself, but we are both members of Cherry Beckert's Government Contracting Services Group. And today we're going to be taking a look at year-end tax planning for government contractors. Uh, uh, Carol, I'll turn the time over for you for your intro and, uh, and, and you can go ahead. Great, thanks, John. Hi, my name is Carol Marin and I'm a tax partner here in the Austin office. Uh, great to be with you today. Um, yeah, I'm also, I'm a tax partner here, but I'm also part of the government contract servicing group and the private client service group here. So I work with lots of, of, of people in different types of areas that um, I believe that this will apply to. Um, every year at the end of the calendar year, everyone begins to start thinking, oh, taxes. So this is always a good time. November, December is a great time to start your year in tax planning for anything that might be relevant for the year. Um, so I'm going to spend a little bit of time just going over some general year end tax planning for entities and then also on the individual level. And John will be filling in uh, talking more specific about 8A and government contracting as well. So each year for normal year end tax planning, there's always the look at how I either lower my taxes or raise my taxes, depending most of the time we'll say lower. But if you're a cash basis taxpayer, some of the easiest ways to do it are to to lower your income for the year or to accelerate any deductions that you can, or if possible, delay the receipt of income that you receive in the year. Um, that's just sort of the basic way of doing some things. Now, some other specifics that have been very pertinent the last couple of years is your capital expenditures, uh, putting, buying and putting into service any capital expenditures, fixed assets, um, you know, furniture and fixture equipment that you need for the year, putting it in service before the end of 22. Um, this may be more relevant for the current year because the bonus depreciation rules are beginning to phase out starting with 2023. And in 2022, you're still able to um, bonus out and uh, take a deduction for 100% of fixed assets put in service if they qualify under various rules. Um, but starting with 2023, that's going to drop to 80%, and then it will drop with each year. So that's a something important that if you have on the um, plan to add additional assets, this may be the year to look into doing that. Um, the other thing you can do that is usually common at the end of the year is if you have any accrued bonuses or anything for your employees, you want to get those paid before the end of the year or any retirement contributions that need to be made. Um, that's a good, easy way to get some deductions off of your income. Now, when you're looking at these, one area of, of that you need to keep in mind is there's just specific rules about being able to take those losses down at the individual level, especially if this is a pass-through entity that are limited due to a pass-through loss limitation rule, or if there's a basis issue, meaning that you have basis in the entity in order to, to utilize the loss. And those are just some certain things that you need to keep in mind when you're thinking about accelerating deductions. Um, so those are some of the main year-end planning for entities um, that are common each year that might be relevant. 
Um, now I want to turn it over to John, who's going to talk a little bit more in depth about how these might apply to our 8A or government contractors. John? Yeah, thanks, Carol. Um, so in, in addition to the, the items Carol mentioned, um, the things I'll talk about are more relevant to government contractors. Uh, they could also be relevant to to other businesses, but uh, particularly for for my government contracting clients, these are bigger items. Uh, one of those is the R and D tax credit. It's a research and development tax credit. Um, many are aware of this. Many, you know, some think that they are not eligible for this credit. And what we've found is uh, generally, if if you know, depending on the contract and depending on the type of work. Uh, that the the contractor is doing, a lot of times there is some aspect of the R&D credit that you can take advantage of. Um, there are also state credits for research and development. Uh, I sit in in Virginia and uh, and I'm part of our DC office in Maryland, Virginia and DC. And Virginia has an R&D credit that that we're able to take advantage of, uh, but there are restrictions and there are timelines. So um, getting in front of this early is 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 helpful. Um, you can also amend your returns for the federal R&D credit, so you can go back three years and potentially take advantage of that. And we do that quite often. Um, and and a lot of times those are bigger numbers, uh, nice nice refunds to receive. Uh, another credit that's come with the last couple of years is the employee retention credit uh, that was put in place. Uh, to uh, assist employers to retain their uh, their employees, um, and there are certain restrictions based on that as well. There's kind of a two uh, kind of a dual track, and and most I found most government contractors, um, if if they don't think they're eligible, it's generally because their gross receipts did not decline in 21 or 2020. Um, there's a there's another track that we can explore based on your contracts that you received um, and any restrictions that uh, may have been imposed on that due to uh, government or, or other COVID restrictions that we've been able to find success for. So if if you don't think you're eligible, maybe take a second look at that because it's also a nice way to uh, generate a little bit of refunds or carry it forward. Um, government contractors a lot of times are growing uh, very quickly. And what we try to do in those scenarios is, from a tax perspective, we want to defer as much of that tax ahead of time as possible. And by switching from an accrual basis uh, on the tax return to a cash basis, a lot of times is very beneficial to clients as well. Um, do you have to be careful? Uh, you want to look at what the net income is based on your cash basis. Uh, for the first time this last year, I had a client who both partners were trying to buy homes and by switching to the cash basis, it dropped their income uh, significantly. So they were deferring income, which was nice. Uh, but the banks took a look at their K-1s and, and determined that they did not uh, have enough income to uh, to give them the mortgage. So, you know, we had to go back and forth at the banks and it, it turned into a big headache. Um, and at the end of the day, they were able to do it. But um, keep that in mind as you're as you're doing that. Um, because as much as we love to save taxes, sometimes there's other uh, uh, scenarios where maybe we want to do something differently. Um, and then finally, for for my government contractors, um, it's helpful, I think, around this time of year to meet for year-end tax planning, talk about the things uh, Carol mentioned, and do some projections out to the end of the year. Um, so first, you know that you're paid up for your estimated tax payments. You know that you're not going to receive penalties or interest uh, in April. And then also run a, a, a rough projection on what 
your tax liability is going to be in April. That helps you prepare, that uh, helps you avoid any surprises because no one likes to get, you know, that tax return an email, you know, late March or early April saying, hey, you owe a whole bunch of money and you weren't expecting that. So try to mitigate those surprises by planning out in advance. And Carol, I'll turn it back over to you. Talk about the more individual planning. Right. Thanks, John. Yeah. So we've kind of discussed at the entity level. Now, most of the people um, are, would be in 8A would be what we call pass-through entities. So that income is going to pass down. Maybe you're not paying tax at the entity level. That income passes down to your individual return. And so there's the things that we're looking at there that get utilized on your individual return. Also, some other items for your activity outside of your entity are some things to think about before the end of the year. You know, the same sort of concepts apply as far as if you have, a, you know, a Schedule C or things like that. If you, there's any deductions you can accelerate or if there's any income you can defer, those are always options. Also on if you have investments and you have some capital gains that have been recognized for the year from the sale of securities, it's always a good time at this time of year um, and, you know, and discuss this with your broker, but is there some losses inside your capital losses that you can harvest inside your investment accounts to help offset some of the capital gains. So that's always a good thing to do starting November, December, but again, talk with your broker and make sure you're doing it for, you know, the things that utilize your, your holdings. Um, there's also um, what's called a 199A or Qualified Business Income Deduction. Now, this is a deduction that applies to certain individuals depending on the type of um, services you provide or the activity you have, and that can generate a nice deduction on your return. Um, so it's always good to look at that, see if you qualify. There's some specific rules around it, which we're happy to help with, but you know, look through and just make sure you're utilizing that the most that you can. Um, another one is charitable contributions, um, looking to see if you've had pledges throughout the year and it's time to fulfill those pledges um, and get those. And obviously, you know, you need to look if you're itemizing your deductions or are you taking the standard deduction, but charitable contributions are always a, a, a good way to add a few more itemized deductions. And for 2022, you know, you're for cash contributions, you're limited to 60% of your adjusted gross income. So just keep those things in mind when you're planning. Um, the other is uh, retirement plan contributions, uh, which are always beneficial because obviously you get a deduction for them if you qualify and, and or it's a pre-tax. And John's gonna talk a little bit more in detail about those, uh, but that's always a good um, year-end planning tool that you can utilize. So John, um, I'll turn that over to you if you wanna discuss that a little more. Yeah, thanks Carol. Um, we bring this up because it's it's been a pretty popular option among my government contracting clients. Um, most of them right now are having a tough time uh, recruiting talent and sometimes have a hard time retaining talent. Uh, it's such a competitive market right now. Um, there are also some clients under, as Carl mentioned, the, the 8A program or other types of economic restrictions. And by using a retirement plan, uh, you can sometimes uh, move around those restrictions. You can also use a, a retirement plan as a, a tool to encourage retention and to use for uh, recruitment. Um, so a lot of our clients, we've helped them put in place what's called a cash balance plan and it allows them, allows the, the owners of the company and, and select officers, those 
key individuals that you want to motivate to to stay with you, um, as well as some some fairly low paid individuals. Uh, the opportunity to for the company to match them, uh, for them to to put more money aside, and it really acts as a nest egg for for them for for later. Um, and the growth, of course, is is uh, available as the as the company continues to grow. Um, we found this to be a great tool uh, in the 8A program, as I mentioned, and also uh, just to motivate and to compensate yourselves and those key employees that you want to retain or or someone you're trying to recruit. Um, uh, so that's been a, a you know most most of our smaller clients just have a typical 401k plan in place that matches you know up to three percent or four percent or whatever. Um, this is a this is a big step up. Um, it kind of lets your your key officers know, hey, we're serious about um, your future here with us. We're serious about serious about this company, and it's a it's a nice thing for you to do as well. Um, that uh, uh, that you can set some some money aside for yourselves. Um, and then I'll just wanted to mention uh, quickly as we're talking about year end tax planning for government contractors. Some of the government contractors we work with are in certain SBA programs, whether that's the 8A program or whether they're a woman-owned business or uh, a service-disabled veteran-owned business. A lot of these have restrictions, obviously, to to meet the qualifications to be in that group. Some, like the 8A program, those are measured year after year. Um, And so if you are in one of those programs, it's obviously a great idea to make sure that you are going to continue to qualify for the coming year, um, uh, whether that's a uh, whether a change in ownership has happened or is anticipated, or like the 8A program, you still have to meet those economic restrictions. So we have a, a spreadsheet that we put together that we use as a year-end planning tool uh, because some of those metrics are measured over th- a three-year average, some of them are uh, you know net worth, and and some are based on distributions. Um, so we'll plan at the year, year end, how much can we take out uh, from the company and assuming, you know, it's been profitable and there's extra money sitting there without going past those restrictions. Um, we'll also look at what a change in ownership might do. For example, if you're doing some estate planning, uh, which we encourage uh, all of our clients to look into, especially before, you know, 2025-ish, because at the end of 2025, beginning of 2026, the estate tax exemption will drop from uh, 12 million, where it is right now, back down to 5 million adjusted for inflation. Uh, so we would lose a lot of that. So a lot of our clients now, we're talking to them about setting aside some of the uh, ownership of the company into a trust, where that we can basically do an estate freeze. We you gift that to a trust or sell it to a trust, and then any future appreciation grows outside of your estate. Um, we want to make sure we're doing that in the correct way because a potential change in ownership could, if it's not done correctly, this uh, uh, make you ineligible for the for these particular uh, programs under the uh, SBA uh, umbrella. So uh, just aspects like this that maybe you wouldn't necessarily uh, attribute state planning or secession planning to your government contracts and, and how you, you are eligible for those. But it's something that we want to take from a holistic perspective, make sure we're all on the same page with your other advisors, with you. Uh, so we have a plan moving forward into the next year. So um, just important to consider some of those uh, aspects you normally may not consider when you're doing tax planning. 
Um, and, uh, you know, Karen, unless you have any other comments, um, that's, that's just a quick summary of some of the items that we, we discuss with our uh, government contracting clients, something that you may want to consider. Um, and, uh, you know, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you for being here. If you have any questions, you, you know, feel free to reach out to Carol or, or myself directly. Uh, again, this is Carol Marin and, and John Yore, and or you can just reach out to Terry Beckert uh, to our firm uh, directly as well. Um, but uh, thank you for being with us today and uh, please join us for our next podcast. Thank you. Thanks.